right, good morning. So I'm not Rashad, as has already been pointed out, um, and, and neither is this. <laughs> this. This guy here. Uh, but just in keeping with Church on the Rock fashion, I want you to do something just a little bit different because Rashad's not here, and uh, we're going to check and see if he actually goes and listens to the podcast. But I want you just to yell on the count of three, we miss you, Rashad, okay? One, two, three. We miss you. All right, now we're going to find out if he actually listens to it and hears you say that you missed him this week. So I'm Jonathan Woodring. Uh, many of you already know me and uh, have met me. And if I haven't met you, um, it's good to see you. Uh, this is Jason Pipes, and he is my co-planter for Plant Plainfield. So can you say hi, Jason? Hi, Jason! Jason and I go way back. We've known each other for probably over 15 years now. Yeah, it's been a while. So we went to, you say that like it was a bad thing. Um, we went to seminary together, we've worked together, and now we're planting a church together. And uh, it's just amazing how God has brought us back together to be able to do this. Um, so just really, really blessed to have him and his family here in Indiana and make them Hoosiers, at least honorary Hoosiers. So um, Yeah, he says make us Hoosiers. We're, uh, we're Arkansans originally, been there my whole life. And so instead of saying good morning, Church on the Rock, I'm just going to say howdy, y'all. Will that work? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we got these out here. I may sit on it, may not sit on it, because um, um, sometimes I just can't sit still for very long. Anyone else here like that? All right, good. So uh, y'all will be a little bit more tolerant of that. Um, they said they can't sit still for very long, so we're going to have to keep this short, I guess. Well, maybe. You got um, two pastors up here. This is dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. But we'll, we'll um, honor this time the way it needs to be honored. Hey, listen, we've come together today to worship. We've come together today to open the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, and to hear what it is that God is telling us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to preach the Word of God. And we're going to give you what it is that God has laid on our hearts. What we really want to do is to piggyback off of what Rashad has done the last few weeks. Uh, so you've had the Let Me Reintroduce Myself series as you've been following along with that sermon series or really that, uh, that breakdown of Romans 1, right? Romans 1, 1 specifically. And knowing who the ruler is, Christ is Lord over all, right? Uh, that's just kind of a recap from about three weeks ago. And a couple of weeks ago, it was our role. What is our role? And spent a lot of time on those two weeks talking about the word slave, and that's an uncomfortable term, but that's the word that, that Paul chose to use, that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of Christ. We are bond slaves. We're servants of Christ when we choose to uh, accept him into our lives and enter that relationship with him. And then the responsibility, and, and Rashad spent a lot of time last week talking about the call, and so we wanted to kind of dive off of that and talk about what does that look like, what is the call, and how do we walk worthy of the call. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and diving into Ephesians uh, 4 and talk about what it means to walk worthy. Um, so Jason's going to kick us off, and we're just going to be conversational back and forth, and um, it, it's different, sure, maybe a little weird, okay, uh, but it's God's word, and honestly, this is how we're supposed to interact in our day-to-day. -day. I know that's not necessarily what a Sunday morning typically looks like, but in our day-to-day -day lives, sitting down and having biblical conversations with one another, that's how we grow. So uh, we're going to jump in, Ephesians 4, and uh, take it away. All right, if you will, Ephesians chapter 4, look with me, verse 1. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you will, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Holy Father, we come to you today and we open your word. Lord, we seek understanding, we seek wisdom, Lord. We desire that you would just reveal to us what it is that you would have for us, that you would just work through your word to accomplish change within our lives. That, Lord, you would find each and every one of us submissive to you, yielding to you, Lord, and obedient to you in all things. Lord, it's my desire and it's the desire of Jonathan that the words spoken today would not be ours, but would be yours. And that we would speak from a place not, a place only of the authority of your word and of you. Again, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you look at what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is, uh, he spent this whole book of Ephesians trying to kind of break down and deal with some issues that they were experiencing at the church of Ephesus. But if you look here in chapter 4, he makes this segue and he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Well, that term prisoner for the Lord should automatically take us back to some of what Rashad had been preaching a few weeks ago, right? About the slave and about the servant and those kinds of things. But what he says here, what we want to emphasize on, what we want to jump to is he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, or for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Rashad spent a lot of time last week talking about the call, about being called, about answering the call, about what that call looks like and our responsibility to it. So Paul here is just following off of what he wrote in Romans, and he's going to write similar things in other places in Scripture, but he says, I want to emphasize those four, four words right there, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Have you ever thought about that word worth? Have you ever thought about what that word means or about what the emphasis of that word? Reflect its value. Have you ever thought about what it is to reflect the value of something? You take out your wallet, you got a $1 bill. What is the value of that dollar? Do, do what? Yeah, well, that's probably about right. Um, it's got a value based off of the government and based off of whatever backs it. But it has no value of its own. It's worth $1. Think about going and getting that cup of really good coffee that you like. And how, way, how far do you have to go out of your way to get that cup of coffee? How much do you have to spend on that cup of coffee? You're assigning a worth to that cup of coffee. If you spend like $3, $4 for it, and then you drive out of your way to go get it, you've attached a worth to that that reflects to you what the value of that coffee is. When he says here to walk worthy of the calling, let me ask you, are you reflecting the value of the calling? Are you reflecting what that call actually costs? That's a great question. So what does that call cost? And it really, we, we have to look at it in light of, as Christians, as believers, as Christ followers, do we reflect the value of Christ in our lives? Um, like, We'll spend money, we'll spend time, we'll spend our energy on those things that we value most, right? Don't we say that a lot, that where your treasure is or your heart is also, and uh, the, the things that we value. If, I go, if I'm willing to spend 20 bucks at the movies, I must value going to see that movie, right? Avengers Endgame, anybody, right? So we value that. What kind of value do we have in Christ? 
Some people value clothes and how they look. Some people value sports and, and they have the nicest gear. Some people value cars and they have the nicest car and you can tell that they detail it every week or every other day. How do we value Christ? And do we reflect that value the way we reflect the things that we value in our lives? Because ultimately that's what you have to get to, right? So we only have this Christian life because what? Because God has called us to that Christian life. Amen? Sorry, amen's a southern thing. If you're, not, if you're not familiar with doing it down in the south, that's the way. Um, we only have that because God has called us, right? And we can only be called because of what? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the reality of it, right? And so then what we're saying about the calling is that it is worth the life of our Savior. Ultimately, that's what we're saying, right? Because he gave his life for you so that you could have everlasting life. He gave his life for me, so that I could have everlasting life. He gave his life out of obedience to the Father, so that the Father's will could be accomplished. So when we talk about this idea of walking worthy, we're talking about this idea of honoring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now that right there is a very powerful thing if we stop and spend any time thinking about it. Does your life honor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Um, we could spend a, a lot of time here. So I just want to, to jump in here and tell you what Paul says about honoring that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because if we're honoring that sacrifice, what are we doing? We're reflecting the value. Yeah, we're reflecting the value. We're looking like our Savior, right? So he says these three things in ver chapter 4, verse 2. He says, With all humility and gentleness and patience, Bearing with one another in love. If you're keeping count, that's four things that he gives us right there. Humility. Listen, humility is this idea that we value others and the needs of others, the lives of others, more than we value our own lives. That's this idea of humility. If you're going to walk worthy of Jesus Christ, then you have to reflect that, that mindset, that attitude of humility. Why? Because Jesus valued you more than anything else in the world. So much that he would leave home to come down here. So much that he would live life as a carpenter. So much that he would live life and endure contradictions. That's the way the King James says it. But you and I know people who are opposed to him for our salvation's sake. Um, so humility is that first term there. And we get that, right? In your life, have you been humble for the sake of your brother and sister in Christ? I mean, let's be real and let's be honest for just a second here. How low have you gotten for the sake of your brother and sister in Christ? What have you done for them lately that requires yourself to stoop and to be there for their sake? In tracking with that, humility is countercultural, right? It's always about getting ahead. It's always about how can I elevate self? How can I be promoted? How can I uh, be higher or better or, or greater than the next person, the next, that's the world we live in, right? I mean, we look around and we see it every day. We see it in politics, we see it in corporations, we see it in every, uh, we, we attribute numbers and we, we attribute success to those things that are better, that are greater, that are higher. And here Jesus is calling us and God is calling us to be humble, to be lower. We have God Almighty wrapped in flesh is the way that, that Philippians 2 says it, wrapped in flesh, and yet he decided to come to earth 
and give himself for us. He decided to wash feet. He decided to walk among us. He decided to live a life of poverty. He humbled himself for our sake. Do we put ourselves in that kind of a posture towards one another? Because Christ is the example, right? And we're supposed to be reflecting that example. That's how we walk worthy is we reflect Christ. Are we reflecting humility? That second term there is gentleness. Um, I can give you an example of not gentleness. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you guys. I'm going to be transparent, be open with you. Uh, when it comes to being a father, my oldest is here with me. The others will be here at second service. They can tell you I'm not always the most gentle of fathers. They come to me whining, and it's like, just suck it up, buttercup. It's quit whining, quit crying, just get over it. And I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes, sometimes I have that mindset, and guys, I know it's not always necessary. It's not always good, and so please don't judge me too harshly. I work on it, um, but there are things God is still working on in me, and so this is one of them. Um, but when you look at gentleness, hey, listen, you can't find a better example of what gentleness actually looks like than in our Savior. Our Savior always dealt with people, the people who were broken, the people who were in need, the people who had a heart that desired righteousness. He always dealt with them in a gentle way. When the woman is brought accused of adultery and all of those people are there and Jesus deals with the Pharisees and he deals with them harsh because of their self-righteous attitude, because of their, their willingness to condemn somebody. But when he deals with the woman on the well or at the well, he doesn't excuse her sin, but he says to her, where are your accusers? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And there's a gentleness in his heart and his attitude towards them that he has. So if we're going to reflect the value of our Savior, listen, we're going to have to have gentleness. Spiritually, we're going to have to be gentle with one another. Sometimes if someone is suffering in sin, they don't need you to look at them and say, you got to you got to just get over this. You know this is wrong. They need you to say to them, can I pray with you for, through this? Can I call you and encourage you when this happens so that you don't stumble in this sin no more? So that you, I know that's that Arkansas in me, y'all. I'm sorry, the double negative there. Um, but can I be there to help you through this, to be there to encourage you in this? That's that gentleness that we find in our Savior. Um, patience. Listen, uh, the King James translates this word most of the time as long-suffering. Parents, you understand the term patience, don't you? The idea of long-suffering, there's a lot that we put up with sometimes. And listen, if you've ever had a commute, you're long-suffering when it comes to dealing with traffic jams. Um, long-suffering in this context, though, is enduring those things, those situations, those problems which arise in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I got bad news for you. Someone in here is going to do something mean to somebody else at some point in the life of this church. Someone in here is going to say something hurtful. Someone in here is going to do something hurtful. Someone in here is going to do something that breaks your heart. And dare I say it, somebody in here is going to do something sinful towards one of their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what your response to that is? To be long-suffering, to be patient. Listen, if we're going to reflect the value of our Savior, that's the way we have to be. Think about it, and speaking of our Savior again, and, and we're using him as that example. He's the standard. Jesus is the standard. He's who we are reflecting, right? Everybody's tracking with that. We're going to keep going back to that because he is the one that we are supposed to be showing 
the value. We're supposed to be showing his worth through our lives. So if we're going to have the patience of Jesus, think about the disciples. Think about what kind of knuckleheads these guys were. Like, man, Charles Barkley would have a heyday with these guys. Man, you guys are terrible. You knuckleheads. You know, like, they're looking. Jesus put up with so much. How many times did Peter put his foot in his mouth? Or, or, or John and, and James are like, should we call down lightning from heaven, you know? This is what Jesus is dealing with. And he's like, guys, you're not getting it. You've missed it. But he doesn't blow up on them. He doesn't lose it. He's patient. So much so that they're arguing over which one of them is greater. And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees. And again, he washes their feet. He shows humility and service. And he, shows, he exhibits these first three things that we've already named here in that one moment of washing their feet. Not just those three, but Jonathan in his illustration brings up a good point. That last term there, bearing with one another, literally the English translation of that word is to put up with. You know what the biggest problem in church usually is? It's not sin. It's those little quirks, those little personality things we have that bug, and again, this is a southern thing here, that bug the snot out of us, okay? Listen, I get it. Sometimes there is a person in your life that just their presence is grating to you. Anyone here want to admit that? Oh, come on. Come on. I know I'm not the only one, right? There are those moments in our lives where there's a person whose personality, who's, who's just who they are, just bugs us to no end. And Paul says here, I love this, listen, put up with one another. You know what? Put up with it. You know what? I get that someone can be a little bit aggravating or be a little bit annoying, but you know what? They love you because they're being Christ-like. You love them because, they're being, or because you're supposed to be Christ-like. I have three siblings. I have three siblings. I love them all to death, but I'm going to tell you, they all three know how to get under my skin. And if you look at Jesus, and going back to what Jonathan was saying about the disciples, they would say and do things to one another. They would irritate and do all sorts of just, again, knuckleheaded things. And Jesus endured them. He put up with that. Why? Because, guys, he loved them. And that brings us to the last part of that right there. Bearing with one another in love. All these tie back to that, but we'll get to that again more in a little bit. I want you to look here at verse 3. Um, so he says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That word eager there, eager is, is an interesting word. The idea is not simply to be diligent, not simply to be fervent or zealous, not simply to be excited, but that there is a sense of urgency. Now let that sink in for just a second. How much urgency do you have for things in your life? What gets you rushing and running around? What gets you to feel like you have to do it right now at this very moment? Because humility has to be accomplished in your walk with your brothers and sisters right now. Gentleness, right now. Long-suffering, patience, as much as it's a paradox, has to be done 
right now. You have to hurry up and be patient with one another. <laughs> yep, yep. Hurry up and be patient. Enduring, putting up with one another, there's an urgency to that. Why? Because listen, the devil's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The moment that you stop demonstrating humility to your brother or sister in Christ is the moment that they have lost the protection of the family of God being there with them. Have you ever thought about that? The moment that you allow your brother or sister in Christ to become isolated or separated is the moment that you have left them to the wolves of this world. He says there's a sense of urgency in our need to maintain. By the way, get that word maintain. What does maintain mean? It's the idea of keeping it up, right? None of the necessity of creating it. Our Savior created the unity between us. You look at the next part there. Unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When did he create the unity? At the moment that he died on the cross. At the moment that he died on the cross, everyone who would ever accept him became unified in his Spirit. That's the reality of it. You and I have a bond that goes deeper than anything else we may have in common. Jonathan and I are both left-handed. You know what? It's a neat bond, but it's not much in the lines of having things in common. We're both middle children. That's really cool, but that's not, you know, much in the line of having things in common. We both lived in Arkansas for a while, but that's not much in the line of having things in common. I've got, again, three siblings. My youngest brother is so much like me, guys, it is absolutely crazy. He's a lot different than me, too. But that's nothing compared to the bond that Jonathan and I share in the spirit of Jesus Christ. You and I have a unity we cannot have in any other way. The, the bond that it talks about, the bond of peace, um, and we see it throughout the letters in the New Testament, uh, it's a peace that's abundant, it's overflowing, it's inexpressible, and, and we're told that we have that kind of joy, we have that kind of peace, we have that kind of love that we can experience from God. So when we think of it in the, in the matter of peace, I want you to think about the, the, term, the term that he keeps using is brothers and sisters because we're a body but we're also a family in Church on the Rock. You are built around being a family together, right? That's the whole point of coming together and joining together and interacting with one another is you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what do brothers and sisters in Christ do? They get on each other's nerves like regular brothers and sisters. Peace is not a word that we associate with brothers and sisters. Right? It's sibling rivalry, not... Rivalry, <laughs> not peace, yeah. Contention, fighting, just complaining about one another. That is what we, we tend to think about because we're human and, and we're sinful and we're broken. But here we're, it says that we're bound by peace. We're bound in the spirit by peace. It's what joins us together. The word bond there, the bond of peace, uh, there's, there's a couple of definitions. One's fetter, which is like chains or, or cuffs, but the other is sinew, like ligaments or tendons. And we're about to see Paul take us on this ride of describing the church as a body. So as we keep that in mind and we think about the thing that holds us together, the thing that attaches my muscle to my bone, anybody basketball fans around here? A few of you? Okay, who knows Kevin Durant? Not personally, but the name, Kevin Durant? <laughs> anybody? All right, a few people. So many of you, if you've kept up with basketball, Kevin Durant was uh, injured, came back in one of the games in the uh, NBA Finals, and uh, he was out because of a quad injury or a calf injury, I'm sorry. So calf 
back of the leg, right? Comes back, and he's almost immediately injured about 11 minutes into the game. He's playing, and as he takes a step, and if you watch it in slow-mo, you can actually see his calf just kind of snaps back up. It's not grotesque in real time, but in slow-mo, it's not necessarily fun to watch. So go check it out. Um, <laughs> he snaps his Achilles, which is almost career-ending for a lot of basketball players. Uh, so he's had to have surgery on it to reconstruct it, to fix it. The tendon still exists. It's just broken. And I think that a lot of times in our Christian life and in our walk with one another, the piece is broken. The tendons, the ligaments that hold all of us together, it's, it's broken. It's not God that broke it, though. No. It's because we're not showing the humility, the patience, the gentleness, that eagerness to put up with one another. <laughs> we're not showing that to one another the way we're supposed to. If you want to reclaim that unity, it's very simple. It's just demonstrate that love of Christ. Reflect that value of what was given for you. The one who was humble, the one who was gentle, the one who had all of that. Um, so as we continue on with this line of thinking, I want to read. I'm too short. I have to stand up to read it from the table. So. Uh, I want to read verse 8. It's not going to be on the screen, but it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And this is Paul referring to Psalm 68, verse 18. But, but he changes it. He kind of manipulates it for his own use. He's not taking Psalm 68 out of context. He never said he was quoting it here. So I don't want you to think, oh, heresy. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote heresy inspired by God. That wouldn't make sense. But uh, he's saying that, that Jesus took captives and gave gifts to men. And in Psalm 68, it says he received gifts from men. Well, wait, how does that work? What does that mean? What's that saying? So if you look at both of those and you think about that, we are gifts. In John 17, Jesus is, is praying for all believers, and he says, what you have given me, he's praying to the Father, he says, what you have given me, we are gifts to God, and he leads us as captives out, but yet we're still prisoners, right? Because Paul kicks this chapter off with a prisoner of the Lord. We're prisoners, so we're, we're freed captives who became prisoners of Christ, it's crazy how it just kind of goes in a circle, but it's this understanding that we are better. Our lives are better captivated by Jesus. And so we are captives of him, and he has given gifts to men. And then we fast forward to verse 11. Verse 11 will be on the screen for you as we look at it here. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are all leadership roles. These are pastors and leaders within the church. He gave them to you. He gave you Rashad Cunningham. He gave you Jason Servizi. He gave you your care leaders. He gave you this leadership in your church. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I want to stop there for just a moment. Leaders are gifts given to you, the body, for the purpose of equipping you so that you can serve the work of the ministry, so that you can serve God better so that you can serve one another better. Have you ever thought of yourself that way as a gift to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Stop and just think about that for a second. That doesn't mean you're gifting them with all of your obnoxiousness or all of the annoying things in you. Yeah, don't be socks. Yeah, yeah. Anybody you are... Socks for 
Christmas or birthday yeah. or a tie for Father's Day. Yeah. 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 You are a gift in your capacity to serve and to minister and to build others up. When you start thinking of yourself in that way, are your brothers and sisters in Christ getting the most that they can get out of the gift that God has given them? So that leads to this question, how are you expressing Christ's worth? You, everybody here plays a role. You all have gifts that you've been given, and your leaders are equipping you with gifts and, and with skill sets, with knowledge, so that you can better serve. How are you expressing worth, the worth of Christ, the worthiness of him who came to save us? So as we continue on, Ephesians 4, 13 and 14 says this, uh, reading verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the result of walking worthy. You catch, you catch that word unity there again? Listen, it's throughout this whole thing. Unity is a, is a concept that we as Christians have diminished. It's something we've watered down. We think as long as we're not arguing, we're unified. We think as long as we're not fighting, we're unified. We think as long as we all want to see the church thrive, we're unified. But I'm telling you right now, if you look at the context of Scripture, that's not even scratching the surface of what unity is. Jesus, when he's praying to the Father, says, I would, Lord, that they would be one as you and I are one. The idea of unity is that spiritually your life and my life are so intertwined that if you suffer, I feel it. If I suffer, you feel it. When you are being blessed, I experience that blessing. That when you have needs, I fulfill that need. When I have need, you fulfill that need. It is the concept of our lives so intertwined spiritually that we cannot exist in the way God desires for us to apart from one another. And it says complete unity. See, earlier in the, in the chapter, Paul is talking about pursuing unity, urgently seeking after unity, maintaining unity. But we do that in an effort to see a complete, perfected unity. We're looking for that kind of oneness that Jesus has with the Father. And we don't have that yet. Does that mean we shouldn't strive for it? Absolutely not. We, we should strive for it. We should do everything that we can to obtain that kind, that level of unity and knowledge of Christ. And it also says maturity in life. It, this is Paul's version of saying, grow up. Grow up. Like, and, and the whole point of this is church isn't for you, and, and Rashad has spoken to this a little bit the last couple of weeks, but church isn't for you to be entertained. It's for you to be educated. That's right. It's for your growth. It's for your health. It's not for us to give you candy. It's to give you nutrients. It's to give you nutrients of the word of God so that you can go out and live it the way that you're supposed to live it so that you're not tossed to and fro is what it says. It's not that you're so whimsical that you're like a child that just like going any direction and has to be redirected all the time. We're supposed to grow in our maturity. We're supposed to be growing as a body. That Greek word is actually, it's an interesting word. It is the idea of full knowledge brought about by experience. So when he says here in this to the completion 
of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the idea is not simply that we stand up here and preach to you and you, you listen to what we have to say, but that if you are walking by faith and you are experiencing the highs and the lows of your relationship with Jesus Christ, we're all having experienced those same highs and lows. And the, so now we've talked, and we're, we're going to wrap up with this last thing, but we've talked about the attitude of walking worthy. The attitude of walking worthy is the humility. It's the gentleness. It's the patience. It's the putting up with one another. It's eagerly main, uh, maintaining that unity and pursuing that kind of unity. That's the attitude. And then we have the, uh, I've got to look at my notes here for a second because I've already forgotten it. The purpose is the unity. Pursuit and urgency, that, that means action. It's taking action and we have to pursue unity with one another. It, instead of like, I can't stand being around that person, it's I want to be around that person so that I can grow that person and that person can grow me. That's what we need to be pursuing. It's the pursuit of worthiness, of walking worthy. And then we see the expression of walking worthy is you are given leaders, leaders who have certain skill sets and talents and gifts that God has given them so that they can equip you and they can better hone your skill set and your gifts that God has given you so that we can do the service and the work of God together and we can build the body up. The results of walk, uh, walking worthy is to have that complete unity in faith and in knowledge of Christ, to, to grow in maturity, to grow as a body for Church on the Rock to grow as the body that God has made you to be. It's to educate, not to entertain. And then we have finally the foundation of walking worthy. And we're kind of doing this backwards because don't we start with the foundation? That's what we build on. But Paul is doing it a little bit backwards here because he's trying to build up to this point of this is what you need to do. This is the attitude you need to have. This is how you need to express it. These are the results that you're going to see. But... It all has to be based on love. It all has to be based on love. Look at verses 15 and 16 as we get ready to wrap up here. It says this. Rather speaking the truth in love. We good about speaking the truth. <laughs> Not always in love. I'll tell you the truth about how I feel about you. You might not like it. Because it might not come across in love. So speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, the bond of peace with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Actually, if you look back, I believe it's verse 3, isn't it, where we already looked at it. It says, bearing with one another in love. He gave us the Easter egg, you know, that's the spoiler for the whole thing before he even gets to the, this point. But then he nails it down, he doubles down, and he says, speaking the truth in love, building up the body in love. The whole basis of everything that we do is in love because Jesus did what he did in love for us, right? Do we have that kind of love? Is that what motivates us? Are we reflecting the worth of Christ's love to one another? So many times we're wearing these love playing field shirts. So many times uh, I've, I've seen churches or there are people even probably in your church. I don't know specifically who or anything, but church is coming and showing up on Sunday. There's no real deep relationships with one another. There's, 
you don't even get to the putting up with one another because it's just I see you on Sunday and you're part of my routine. In order to build the body up in love, you have to be spending time with one another. You have to be investing in one another. You have to be around each other enough to get on each other's nerves to have to put up with one another. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have is, is a love that, that yearns to be with each other because I don't know about you. I don't want to have part of my body dismembered, you know? I don't want to be missing my arm or my hand or even one of my fingers. Like, I like my pinky toe, okay? Like, <laughs> and yet sometimes that we, we see that in the church as we go and, and we're brand new starting this out. I know that's something that we're going to battle in our future. I know that's something that we're going to encounter, but we want to, from the very ground, establish this. If we're going to be devoted disciples of Jesus, it has to be in a way that we are unified together, bound in peace, loving one another the way that Christ loves us. It has to be love. Fast forward, if you will, to Revelation. It'll be on the screen for you as well, but, but, but look at that. It says, I know your works. This is... This is the, the Apostle church. John in Revelation 2, and he has encountered Jesus. He's got this vision of Jesus, and this is the, uh, the seven churches of Asia. And this one happens to be Ephesus, to whom this letter was written, okay? I know your works, you toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not. I know that you have the knowledge of Christ is what he's saying. I know that you're firm and convicted in your doctrine. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. You have endured. You have been urgent. But verse 4, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. They had it right there. It was written to them. It was a letter given to them specifically. Do this, do this, do this, do this, but do it in love. And they did that, and they did that, and they did that. But they forgot love. If, if all of this is just knowledge, if all of this just puffs you up and just makes you smarter about who God is or what the Bible says, it's pointless. Listen, God's word's infallible, Amen. Y'all bear with me. It's a southern thing. I'm working through it. I'll get there eventually. Um, God's word's infallible. But you know who's not? You and I. That's the cold reality. Listen, we can strive every day of our lives to be closer to Jesus Christ, or we can allow ourselves to get further away from him, what he desires for us. You look at the church of Ephesus. You look at what's written there in Ephesians by Paul to them, and he gives them that basis, that foundation that is love. And then you find John, just a few years later, writes another letter in which they're condemned for having not learned the lesson. In which they are condemned for having missed the point entirely. I want to give you just this to think about as we, as we get ready to, to step away from here and just let you think and let this sink in and... Um, I want to encourage you again, ask questions, listen to this again on the podcast, whatever you need to do to grow in this, 
knowledge of, of this particular scripture, but don't lose sight of the purpose, of, of the foundation of why we do what we do, why you gather together as a body, why we are trying to build those relationships in Plainfield to gather together as a body and to be in, invested in one another's lives. Because we have the kind of love for people that Jesus has for us. If we lose that, we lose everything. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing is what Paul says. Do we demonstrate that? Do we reflect the value of that? Do we have that kind of worth that we're showing of Jesus to others? Is that what we are all about? Or are we just playing church? So I want to challenge you with that. Grow. Use this time where, where you're, you're experiencing deep teaching in your church and, and, and ask those questions and jump into a 5-9 families. I want to plug that for you guys right now because that's how you build those relationships with one another. Spending time with one another. And if you have something against someone in your body, go to them. Rectify it. Fix it. So that you can live out that kind of love, that you can show that kind of worth. That you can be an example of who Jesus is. And then lastly, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that relationship, none of this matters anyway. Cry out to him. Have him in your life because he's the one that binds you together in the first place. Otherwise, you are isolated. You're broken. And you're missing out on the greatest family there is to have. So make that right today. Cry out to him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And I just want you to give it out all back to him. Show him his worth through your praise. But show him his worth through your life. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us. And I pray that we would reflect that. God, I pray that, that we would be uh, people who are in pursuit of unity together, that as, as a family and as churches and as uh, the representation of your kingdom here on earth, I pray that we would have unity. I pray that we would show humility and gentleness and patience and that we would bear with one another, that we put up with each other in love, that we would show this world something supernatural and something beautiful and something great in you. And we know that there are going to be those who reject it. But God, I pray that it would be something that others would seek and that they would embrace and that they would find you in the midst of it all. We love you. We thank you for all that you do. And I thank you for your word that challenges us, that warns us, but that also encourages us and grows us. I thank you. I also thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. We hope that it has challenged you to grow deeper in your walk with Christ. If you would like any information about our church, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.